Well, good morning. It's good to be with you here in the house of the Lord. Uh, I love that last song where we're just reflecting on the, the, the work of Christ and, and what he's done in our lives, and all the glory goes to Jesus. Um, today we are continuing our series. We've been walking through some of the, um, the minor prophets, uh, and today we are, we finished our series in Haggai. We're in the second half of it now. We're beginning with the Old Testament book of Malachi. Um, and today I want us to be, we've been learning some great lessons through, um, through the book of Haggai, and we're going to be learning some more today uh, on what it means to honor God's great name through faithfulness. Let's pray together uh, as we dive into God's word this morning. Father, I thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of studying your word. Thank you, Lord, for how you have given that to us, that you speak to us. And I pray that you would speak to us today through your word. I pray that you would give us wisdom and understanding, that you would guide us into your truth. We thank you, Lord, for how you have saved us and for how you have brought us uh, redemption and how you have changed our lives. We ask that you be glorified in this service and in this message today. I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to turn, turn over to Malachi chapter 1. And today, I want us to think through this, this idea of honoring God's great name and doing so through being faithful. As we're getting started, I like to try to stay somewhat current with current and relevant events. I'm not always the best with it. If you ask me questions about pop culture, I probably am not going to know the answer. But my question today for you is, do you all know what, what's going on later on tonight? Are you ready? To be honest with you, I don't know if I'm quite ready um, because I have a paper I'm finishing this afternoon. So as long as I finish my paper, hopefully I can then watch the Super Bowl tonight uh, and enjoy that. But I'm excited about that. I'm looking forward to uh, a, hopefully a good game. Sometimes Super Bowls, they, they can, they, I don't know, they, the hype doesn't always live up to it. I don't know if you, if you identify with that. Um, but in the spirit of thinking about honor and thinking about the Super Bowl this week, um, I got to thinking about a legendary coach, a coach by the name of John Madden, who many of us are probably familiar with and know. Um, and he is probably he's regarded as one of the most legendary coaches probably in NFL history. Um, he coached only for 10 seasons uh, and had an incredible record as a coach. He, he, his record as a coach in regular season was 103, 32, and 7. He actually he had seven ties, which is rather interesting. But that gave him the highest winning percentage of any coach in, the, in NFL history uh, who coached at least 100 games. He took the Oakland Raiders to the postseason nine times and won a Super Bowl back in 1976. And then he retired from coaching and went into what probably most of us know him best for was in broadcasting. And this is what I remember him as growing up as a, as a kid, watching games on Monday Night Football and seeing him and Al Michaels doing games. And he is the only broadcaster to work for all four major networks. Uh, so that makes him like, kind of unique in those ways. He was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame and also the Sports Broadcasting Hall of Fame. Now, he passed away in 2021, kind of suddenly, uh, at the age of 85. And something I was thinking about this week, I remembered that there were lots of tributes there were lots of things given to, to sort of honor him. I was reading some about the, the Sunday following his death, 
Um, there, were, there were sort of moments of silence and reflection at the NFL games that took place that day. Um, and some of the, as you see in the picture here, some commentators, they wore these sort of famous jackets that he would make known. If you can see there's a little emblem that says All Madden, um, that he was sort of famous uh, for wearing. Um, and so there were also many tributes on social media, online, different ways that people thought fit to honor this legendary coach. And his name, of course, is one that remains much respected in the NFL uh, and in the industry of sports broadcasting. So why do I talk about this? We think about honoring someone who is great in the eyes of other people, in the eyes of the sport of football, but I want us to say in, in a similar way, we who are followers of Jesus, we all know someone who is worthy of the far greatest honor, greater honor than we could ever give to any person. And, that, and his name is Jesus. And he is our Savior. He's our King. He's the creator of the universe. He's worthy of all glory and honor and praise, more than we could ever, ever give. So I love that in that song we were singing, all glory to the Lord, all glory to Christ. And today we're going to learn through, through some lessons from the Old Testament prophet Malachi about the importance of honoring God's great name. And the emphasis is on honoring God's great name through faithfulness, being faithful as God's people. So our question we're considering today is, how can we honor God's great name? And today we're going to see three ways in which we can honor God's great name through being faithful. And as followers of Jesus, I just want to add that the only reason that we can honor God's great name is because of what Jesus has done in our lives. He is the one who has redeemed us. He has given us a new nature and his righteousness. We don't do these things in our own strength. He is the one who enables us to give honor and glory to his name. I want to also I want to give us some context of just where we are in Malachi, the setting of the book a little bit. Um, so Malachi, the date is not explicitly dated, but the themes seem to run around the, it's the post-exilic era, so also like Haggai, a little bit later than Haggai. Uh, some scholars date a little bit earlier, maybe around 500 BC, while others uh, date to the times of Nehemiah, overlapping uh, Nehemiah and Ezra in the 440s to 420s BC. So this is a time we read, we've read in Haggai about the temple being rebuilt, the people have returned to the promised land from, um, uh, from uh, the time, their time in Babylon, and they were struggling, they're still struggling with some of the same sins that led them into captivity in the first place. Um, the uh, the Israelites were taken into captivity. Their primary sin was idolatry. They were unfaithful to the Lord. And so they're still wrestling with some of these things. Uh, but they have seen God do great things in the rebuilding of the temple. The structure of the book is kind of um, organized in what's, what's called a sort of a disputation. It's a dispute. Um, and Malachi speaking to people who've seen the blessing of God, but yet their hearts are calloused and cold. The book is written in this style where the prophet will make a statement or kind of an indictment, and then the people respond with this, this is sort of response of the, it's sort of assumed of the people, of how they would have felt in their hearts, and, and as this sort of question of, uh, and we see an example, and this is from our passage today, verse 6, 
uh, Malachi chapter 1, it says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And the question then responds to the people, But you say, How have we despised your name? They challenge this question, this, this critique from the Lord. Another key component, some key concepts that we're going to see throughout our study, um, just kind of introducing the book here, is the concept of, the co- of a covenant. And the covenant is this agreement, the solemn agreement between two groups. Um, we're going to see that kind of throughout the, the we see that throughout the Old Testament, um, where God made several covenants, one with Noah and another with Abraham and Moses, and, and then one with the people of the Jewish people, King David. And so when the people returned from captivity in Babylon, they renewed that covenant with, the, with Yahweh. And so uh, Malachi is kind of building off of this theme. And also note, we'll see this later on in our study, just making a note of it now, uh, the idea of the messenger. This is going to be throughout the book. Uh, repeated phrase, uh, Malachi actually means my messenger. Uh, so keep an eye out for that as we study together. All right, so through uh, introductory information, now let's dig into our passage. Um, we're going to see how we can honor God's great name through our faithfulness in worship. Look in verse 6 of Malachi chapter 1. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? Says the Lord of hosts. Verse 9, And now entreat the favor of God, that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you? says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. Verse 11, For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. In verse 14, Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. So in this section, the Lord, through the prophet Malachi, is speaking to the priests, the leaders of the people. He's he's challenging them regarding their sacrificial practices. Now, in the Old Testament, the Jewish people would bring sacrifices. Uh, Oftentimes, it would be animals or maybe other agricultural products, wheat, fruit, uh, and they would be things that they would offer to the Lord. These sacrifices had various meanings. Some of them would be for atonement, seeking forgiveness from God. Others would maybe be a, a gratitude, a grace, you know, offering thanks to God. 
Look again in verse 8, though. We see there's something horribly wrong with what is going on here with the priest. Verse 8, it says that the, the, that the Lord asks, When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? See, the priests had failed the people by allowing the people to bring blind, lame, and sick animals to the sacrifices in the temple. And God describes these practices as, as evil. They were offensive to the Lord. They, were, they, showed, they showed little regard for God. They were faithless in their worship of Yahweh. So we talk about this idea of, of worship. They, these people are bringing sacrifices. They are worshiping God. What do we mean, though? What do we mean when we say, what, what is worship? And worship is essentially, it's proclaiming, it's ascribing honor to someone or something who, that is worthy. You're sort of assigning worth to something or someone. And worship in the Old Testament was also a time of fellowship, just as it is for us today. We fellowship together. We fellowship with the Lord. And also in the Old Testament, the nature of the gifts that the people brought showed evidence of their commitment to the Lord. And we see here that people are bringing what is kind of poor and sort of paltry. It's, it's not showing their, their commitment. It's not, even, it's, not really a, it's not much of a sacrifice. It's not really costing them anything. These are animals that they wouldn't probably use for food or for any other agricultural purpose. A key passage that gives us some understanding of what God expected of worship in the Old Testament is from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Look in verse 4. This is a famous passage known as the, the Shema. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. The phrase at the end of verse 4, translated, the, the Lord is one, is not only a statement of, of, of monotheism, that we believe that God, that there is one Lord, it can also be translated, the Lord alone. The Lord our God, the Lord alone. He is God of, alone. This is the core of worship. Recognizing that the Lord is God alone, and he's worthy of the devotion of everything that we have and everything that we are. Our time, talent, our resources, everything that we are and can be is devoted to the Lord. He is the Lord alone. And in our passage in Malachi, we see a situation where it seemed that the people were, they were trying to obey the Lord, or at least looking like they were on the surface by bringing, they were still following the, the rituals and bringing the animals for sacrifice, but that their hearts were far from God. They were half-hearted in their worship. They, these sacrifices didn't have any real value. Perhaps the people believed this was sort of the, the, maybe the best way we could dispose of these animals that we weren't going to do anything with. And so the people were disobeying God. And this is the exact opposite 
of what God deserved. God had been faithful to his people. And he deserved the best of what they had. And he appeals to them and he gives them an example. Look again in verse 8 of Malachi chapter 1. He says, when you offer, he says, and when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? And now entreat the favor of God, that he may be gracious to us. The implied answer is that your governor wouldn't accept it. Why should the Lord accept it? And this was indicative of the condition of their hearts. Their worship was half-hearted because they didn't place value in their relationship with God. They didn't recognize or, or seem to really care about his greatness and his glory that was due him. I was thinking some about this. Has any of you ever received sort of a gift? Maybe it felt sort of like an afterthought. <laughs> maybe, maybe it was a party or anniversary. Somebody who came and they, maybe they didn't know you very well, but they felt obligated to give you something. And so they gave you this gift, and you're like, oh, I didn't really want that, or I don't really need that. What, what, what am I going to do with this? Maybe you've been like, oh, you know, I would rather them not have given me anything. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been there. Um, it just seems sort of half-hearted, half-empty, obligatory. And I think in a similar way, this is true of what was going on in these worship practices with the Jewish people. God was an afterthought to them. They're focused, they were on, they're focused on their, what they're doing in their lives, the things that are going on. They have their own goals. And then, oh yeah, we're, we're, we're bringing our sacrifices. We're bringing the, the, the least of what we have to the Lord. It was an afterthought. What does God say about this worship? God says some really strong words about this. Look in verse 10. He says, oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. God calls it vain. God, God saw what it was. He knew what it was. He knew where their hearts were. And just as like we, we, wouldn't, we received that gift that we didn't know what to do with, we didn't really want, God was interested in their half-hearted worship. He says, Shut the doors. Why does this matter, though? Because God's great name is worthy. Because of who God is, he is worthy of great honor and glory. Look in verse 11. When God seems to point to a future day, for from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. And then in verse 14, he says, Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock, and yet vows it, sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. In the end, for I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. 
the Lord seems to speak of a day when the Gentile nations will recognize his greatness, the greatness of his name, and give him glory and honor. The worship of God matters because he is a great king. He is worthy. It's, so, it's interesting to me, I think throughout the Old Testament, you see this emphasis on the greatness of God's name. So in, in, you see, if you study throughout some of the other Old Testament scriptures, in, you know, the idolatry of other people groups, they would build images and, and idols, and so they'd be sort of this visible representation of a God that they worshipped. But for the, the Jewish people, they worshipped a God who revealed himself by his name. That is how God manifested his, he revealed himself to his people. And I think this is so interesting. You see this picked up again in the New Testament. Peter and John, they're preaching before the Jewish leaders. They're some of the same people who worked and, and put, put Jesus to death. And here's what they, this is what they say. John, Acts, Acts chapter 4. They say, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Salvation is in no other name but Jesus. And what the scripture tells us is that we must Repent of our sins. Recognize that we can't get to heaven on our own, that our sin has separated us from God, and that we look to Jesus and place our faith in his finished work on the cross. Recognizing, believing that he has risen from the dead. He's died in our place. He has took, took our place, and he is the only hope for the world. He is our only hope. He is all that we have put our trust in. There is no other name but our Savior, Jesus. And so Malachi here is speaking to people who are, they've given sort of outward lip service where they've tried to make things look good on the outside, but God desired to have their whole hearts. He desired to have all of them. And that's something that's true of us as well. Where God desires to have all of our devotion. He desires to know us intimately, to know us well. And we don't just worship God when we come to church on Sunday. The worship of God is something that we can do throughout each day of our lives. We live in a manner that is devoted to the Lord, and that's evidence of our worship of God. That we can honor God's great name through our worship. Not only just what we do here in the service, but in, the, in our daily occupations, the things that in our, in our workplace. We can be faithful to our, our managers, the people that we report to. We can worship God's name and give him honor by being faithful 
among our friends. For those of you who are students, you're, you, know, you're, you can be faithful in your classes to your professors or your teachers. We worship, we can give God's name honor in our relationships with our friends, pointing people to Christ. We live with a character of devotion and consistency, and that gives God's name honor. So not only can we honor God's great name through our faithfulness in worship, but we can also honor God's great name through our faithfulness to teaching his word. Look in Malachi chapter 2. We're going to be William, starting in verse 6. Again, the Lord is speaking to the priests, the leaders of God's people. Verse 6 says, True instruction was found in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. So in this section, the Lord continues his address to the priest, but his subject has now shifted from their, their acceptance of improper worship practices and these sacrificial system, and he's shifted now to the way that they've been teaching the scriptures. The priests were expected to instruct the people in the law so that the Jewish people could be reminded of God's truth and faithfulness. And we saw those responsibilities in verses 6 and 7 about how the, the instruction was in his mouth. In verse 7, the priests should guard knowledge and the people should seek instruction. He is the messenger of the Lord. In Nehemiah chapter 8, we see another example of, of Ezra, the priest, teaching the people uh, and instructing them in the word of God. We see that verses 2 and 3, Ezra brings the law and gathers the people together. And in the, in, the, in the presence of all those people, they read from the law. They read from it for hours, too. And they wanted the people to understand the word of God. But in the days of Malachi, the priests had failed miserably in this mission to teach the Israelites the law. And this is why the people weren't obeying the Lord through, their, through the sacrifices. They weren't worshiping the Lord as God expected. They caused the people to stumble. They caused the people to sin. Look in verse 8, Malachi chapter 2. It says that we have turned aside from the way. You've caused many to stumble by your instruction. This just reminds me of the importance that of, of, the, of the people that that we listen to, the importance of the, the accountability of those who teach God's Word. It's an awesome responsibility to stand before God's people and teach God's Word. We have a, a high accountability to the Lord. And in verse 9, the priests are in, indicted for their, their teaching. They've got some kind of partiality, favoritism, and God states here that he is judging their sin. He's dealing with, his peop- with, these, with these priests. 
And so they, have not, they were not, the priests were not faithful to the covenant which God had made with them and their forefathers. They had turned away from God. They weren't faithful to his word. They weren't faithful to being reminded of God's truth. And I'm thankful for the many examples that I've seen in my life of, just, of godly men who have been faithful to God's word. Some of you know um, that I've, in, throughout this, the course of my life, I've you know, growing, growing up in Christianity, that the Lord has led me and my family into some different churches. We've been a part of several different congregations, and I've been blessed to know a lot of uh, godly men who have been faithful to God's word. There's one man that stands out to me in particular. Um, when I was a teenager, through my teen years and going through um, my early years as a, as a college student, my family and I were part of a church called Grace Bible Baptist Church. And we've got a picture, I think, uh, of him. Uh, this is me and my brother with, with this man. He's, his name was Pastor Earl Johnson. He was the pastor. He was a man who was, he'd pastored and preached the Word of God for over 50 years. And one of the things that, that always stood out to me about his preaching is how much he loved the Word of God. He had a big sort of booming voice and Sometimes I try to impersonate it. I don't know if I do a really good job, but he, he would say, like, you know, you need to get under the teaching of the Word of God. And it just sort of oozed out. He loved the Scriptures. His enthusiasm for it was just so infectious. Now, he's in glory now. This is a bit of pictures from a few years ago. This was not too long before he passed away. And I remember something that, that he did before, every time he preached, and sometimes it got a little repetitious, but what he would do is they'd have everyone in the church raise their Bibles up, and, they would, and he'd lead them in sort of a pledge, and they would say, I hold in my hand the divinely inspired Word of God, and I want to hide God's Word in my heart that I might not sin against Him. And sometimes, like I said, sometimes that got a little old and repetitious, but one of the things that it sticks with me about it is it was a reminder that we need to be faithful to God's Word. That we need to be faithful to the, to the Scriptures that God has given us, to understand them and to live them out. That we might not sin against the Lord. Brothers and sisters, God has called us to be faithful to His Word. And so we, we must seek to be part of congregations that faithfully teach and preach God's Word. We also want to be discerning when we, we listen to other people and other ministries that make sure to ensure that they are teaching the Word of God. And the best way that we become discerning on that is by investing our own time and energy into God's Word. Why is it important that we are faithful to preach and teach God's Word? Because God's Word is powerful. I love what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy. He says that all Scripture is breathed out by God. And it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And the second part is that, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's why here at Valley, that's why we, we emphasize the Word of God. The Word of God is our guide, our direction. We base our, tr our understanding of God from His Word. 
this is what we live by. This is what we follow. Because it's God's revelation to us. And so while this may seem like more of an application for those who are teaching and preaching God's word, I want us to be reminded that we all have an obligation. We do all teach in some ways. We all have people in our lives that we teach God's word to. We teach God's word um, by our example, by how we live our lives. People do, they watch us and they, they see where do we stand. We teach that by our testimony. We also teach God's word by our witness for the gospel. The people that we're around, those that don't know Christ, we have an opportunity to teach God's word. And we also teach God's word to ourselves as we spend time in it. We need those constant reminders of God's truth so that we don't take for granted the sacrifice of Jesus. I know that's something that I, I know I need to be reminded. That's why I, I go to the scriptures because it's just so easy to forget the truth and some of the truth and, and just be thinking about the things that you're doing in your, in your day and forget, oh, what does God's word say about that? What does he lead and guide on that? And so I think God has called us to be faithful in all of these methods of teaching God's word. So not only, though, can we honor God's great name through our faithfulness in worship and our faithfulness in teaching God's word, I want us to see the last thing. And that's that we can honor God's great name through our faithfulness in relationships. This is kind of a tough one. Let's look at Malachi chapter 2, looking down in verse 10. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord which he loves and has married the daughter of a foreign god. In this section, this is, this is the beginning of, a, of, a, of the third disputation in Malachi. And in this section, Malachi exposes the failure of the priests to be faithful in their relationships. This is specifically the marriage relationship. And there are two issues that are present among the people of God. And the first concerned marrying individuals who were outside of the faith. So the, the people of Judah were, were faithless to God's covenant because they were marrying people from the surrounding area who did not believe the same things. And this was forbidden in the Old Testament, not for any racial reasons. This had to do with the, the fact that they didn't believe the same things, that they were not on the same planes. Because we actually do see exceptions in the Old Testament, such as like Boaz and Ruth, where Ruth was a Gentile, Ruth is a Moabite, um, and yet married into the Jewish faith, but she had come to believe those things. It's, so this is about the faith of these individuals. We see uh, the, the, some teaching on this. We can get a little bit of insight from Deuteronomy chapter 7, uh, where Moses commanded the people concerning the people groups they were going to conquer when they entered the promised land. Look in verse 3, it says, You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons, or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. 
Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you, and he would destroy you quickly. The issue pertained to the fact that these people who they would intermarry with would then lead them away from God. We see this very clearly in the example of King Solomon, where he married so many women. If, you, if you're studying uh, King Solomon, had all those wives, all those concubines, and they turned his heart away from God. And so I think this, this is a good reminder for us as followers of Jesus, those of us who are maybe if people like me who are, who are single, that we, if, if we're, as we're looking to get, you know, for a future spouse, that we look to those that believe the same things, believing the same things about Jesus, believing the gospel. We don't want to look toward people who, uh, who don't believe those things. Because... We're not going the same directions. You're going different directions. Uh, some people, perhaps some of us have known people who maybe, maybe you do sort of like a, a missionary dating kind of thing where you date someone and you're like, oh, oh I'm going to try to win them to, to Jesus, right? And uh, maybe that can work, but it just, it's just unwise. So oftentimes those people can, they pull us away and you just, it's very difficult to build a future with someone who doesn't believe the same things. And the other scenario pertains to divorce. Look in verse uh, 13 of Malachi chapter 2. It says, And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Verse 16, For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel covers his garment with violence says the Lord of hosts, so guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. These are some stark words from the prophet. And I was wrestling, this is, these are some difficult passages. And I know there, there are a lot of complexities that revolve around divorce and, and the things that go on in family relationships. But I think here's the primary takeaway. It's important for us to recognize that marriage is a very serious thing. And that it's something that God has called us to be faithful to our spouses, to heading toward our future spouses. And we live in a society, in a world where divorce, cohabitation, these things are very prevalent. Immorality is praised in our entertainment industry. Current estimates of the divorce rate run between 40 to 50 percent. When it's interesting, when I was doing research on some of the stats, and some of the stats I, I find sort of confusing, but one of the quickest, one of the fastest, like the top search engines usually find law offices as the top search engines on divorce statistics. <laughs> divorce is, I'm sure, it's a huge industry as far as the way that um, that um, works. And all of us, I'm sure, know people who have been deeply impacted and, and 
and affected by, by divorce. It's one of those things that it is, it's, it's a very you know, sad and, and challenging thing. But, God, uh, but Malachi reminds us that this was not God's design or intent. It's part of the, the brokenness of our world. But, but God had designed for marriage to be between one man and one woman until separated by death. And God has called his people to be faithful. And I think this applies in other ways beyond marriage as well. Because God has called us to be faithful in other relationships in our, in our lives as well. I think the, the, the thing that stands out to me the most, I think about John chapter 13. Where Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, Jesus is specifically speaking of the love that fellow believers have toward one another. But we know that we are also called to love those, we are called to love all people, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And this is the mark of a follower of Jesus. This is, Jesus says, this is how you know, this is how people will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. So my question today, as we think through faithfulness in relationships, what do your relationships look like? Are they characterized by kindness and love? Does that characterize your marriage, your friendships, your relationships with coworkers, your relationships with your, your children and your grandchildren? For those maybe who are students, does that characterize your relationships with your teachers, your professors? Do you cooperate with those who are working with you, teaching you, managing you? Or do you challenge? Do you, are, you, do you, do you, are you not submissive to those who are in authority? How are we showing God's love to those who are around us? And certainly we do so by caring for one another and we provide for those in need. We, we pray for one another. And of course, one of the best ways that we show love to others, those that don't know Jesus, is by sharing the gospel with them. And the gospel simply is that Jesus died on the cross. We are broken, sinful people, but Jesus has made a way. When we were without hope, he provides hope. If you will repent of your sin and put your trust in him for forgiveness. He is the only way. He will forgive you of your sins. You can have that relationship with him that was separated by sin be restored. I'm so thankful for the love of Jesus, the love that he's put into our hearts for, for one another, the ability that he enables us to have relationships with one another, fellowship with one another. He's given us that new nature because of the salvation, the saving work of Jesus. And today, that's, that is, that's an invitation for those of you, if you've never put your trust in Jesus, Maybe today is your day. 
as you can call out to him, recognizing who you are, that you are a sinner, but that he is the answer, that he has made a way for you to be made right with him. Let's bow for prayer together as we close our service. Father, I thank you just for your word. I thank you for you, how you have challenged us through it. Lord, help us to be people who want to be devoted to you. Lord, we know we do it through your strength. Lord, help us to be wholehearted in our worship of you. Help us to be faithful to your word, to understanding it and living by it. And help us, Lord, in our relationships. Help us to be faithful to those that you have placed around us in our lives. We thank you just for how good you are, how you speak, and how you challenge us. I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to invite our worship team to come back up. And today, if, if you've never put your trust in Jesus, you can come forward. We'll have people at the front willing to talk to you, happy to talk to you. If today maybe is your, you, you decided the Lord is leading me to be a part of Valley Baptist Church, you can come forward as well, and we'll be, we'll be happy to talk to you as well.